Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never ever about food. Or weight. Never ever. Not even. One time. Not ever. Ever ever. Hello everyone. Welcome to It's Not About Food podcast. Really glad that you're here and listening to It's Not About Food and what does that mean? And what that means is it is about everything else when you are suffering from a disordered eating or body hatred. And we have three really wonderful guests today at the same time who are going to be on talking about what is it about with eating disorders? What is that about? And they come from their own recovery as well as what they learn from being in the peer educating group. And that group is something that we started at Beyond Hunger probably almost 20 years ago, where we started to go into schools and talk about recovery and prevention of disordered eating and body hatred. And at first, we did this with myself or the other founder, Beyond Hunger, would go in and talk about this. And what we noticed was we were just another talking adult saying, don't do this. (laughs) And not that that wasn't necessary or good, but what we realized is that what if we had peer educators, people who were much closer to their age and maybe had gone through it or knew somebody that had gone through it and come out the other side or even were still in the disorder what would that be like? Would that be okay? Would we be able to do that? And we just put the word out to the teachers and to schools that we were looking for people who would want to do something like this and just got so many people every year. <laughs> we could Now, that was when they weren't as busy, these teenage, and we don't really only have women in, in the peer education, but it, that's who seems to show up. Very seldom do we get a guy and they usually don't stay, but we welcome any person ever who wants to join the organization. We'd love to have them. But anyway, so we noticed right away that the students would listen more, they would interact more, and they would be, I don't know, much more engaged when it was somebody closer to their age talking to them. Duh, you know, really, (laughs) of course. So... Every year we have new people coming in and the older peers leaving and aging out and going away to college. So I have three of the peer educators right now that have been with us for a little while and they're going to talk about the three prongs of recovery. So for us, for Beyond Hunger, our three prongs are body acceptance, that this is the only body you're going to get. You know, it looks like this right now, but it's going to shift and change. And what do we have to do to be okay with the body that we have? And then the second part is intuitive eating. And that means eating when you're hungry, stopping when you're full, and eating what your body is asking you for. 
So for me, that was really hard to do, especially with an eating disorder. At first, I needed more support to learn that because I had very strange ideas about it. But, you know, it's part of the recovery that I really think is important for us to talk about because we get so confused about food and weight and it gets all squished together and it gets really crazy. And then, of course, the last piece is the emotional wisdom, which if we can know how to feel our feelings, know how to get support if we need it with our feelings, then we're less likely to turn to overeating or undereating or smoking or alcohol or drugs or crazy boyfriends, <laughs> you know, so much more at peace with ourselves in order to go through our lives. I have three wonderful young women. Let me introduce Shyla, and she's going to be talking about intuitive eating. So listen up. <laughs> Hi, everyone. My name is Shyla Lensing. I am a senior in high school. And just to give a little bit of background, I had an eating disorder throughout the end of middle school and into the beginning of high school. And around when the pandemic hit, I started my recovery. And my recovery took a long time just because I had to go through a lot of different phases of both accepting my body and also accepting the amount of food that I should be eating. And really learning to embrace new habits and positivity when for so long I had been restricting and not living life for what it was, but living life to be thin and eat small amounts. But over time, you know, I've gone through recovery and that's been both Lorley's partner, her partner who started this peer education program. She was my therapist and she helped me through a lot of different things. But today I'm here to talk about intuitive eating, which I think this prong is one of the ones that I struggled really hard with. Because when we talk about intuitive eating, a lot of times people are, you know, confused. Like you just eat whatever you want, whenever you want. And that is the basic tenet of it. But whenever I talk about intuitive eating, I like to talk about when we were little, when we were tiny little babies and we would cry when we were hungry and then we would eat a whole bunch of food. And then when we stopped eating food, you know, stopped eating our little like, squash pudding and pumpkin <laughs> filling or whatever. We would throw food at our mother or something. You know, we were full. <laughs> we were done. Our bodies knew when to stop and our bodies still know when to stop. It's not like if you just let your body eat french fries and hamburgers and you know what we perceive to be bad foods if you let your body eat that all the time every single day of your life your body's not going to want that after i would say like two days your body knows you know how to listen to you and obviously those signals when you restrict yourself or you commit to disordered eating those signals kind of get ruined and that's part of recovery. Part of recovering from an eating disorder is learning to get those signals back. And sometimes you overeat or sometimes you undereat because you still need to figure out how can I set my body back to zero? You know, how can I set it back to what it was when I was a baby before? And that process took a really, really long time for me, you know, really learning that it was okay to eat a lot. Oh gosh. It took me a while to like learn my hunger cues and bring them back to what they were before because at first like I didn't trust myself so intuitive eating it was really hard for me to return to 
after I started recovery because it took a while for me to trust myself and both trust my soul, but also my body, that my body knew what it wanted because for so long I had overrided so many of the cues and so many cravings of what my body really wanted. You know, and I I yo-yoed for a while. I'd be like, okay, I'll listen to you body. And then listening to my body didn't feel like it was the right thing because diet culture of everything. Then I would like yo-yo back. And I think a lot of people with eating disorders struggle with that. I don't know if you did, Lorelei, like trying to figure out the balance again. Totally. I had no idea when I was hungry, when I was full, or even what my body wanted because I had overridden those signals for so long. So you're exactly right. It took me a long time to relearn how to do something I knew as a baby. Exactly. And yeah, I would say that took me a year two years and there are moments that I still struggle with it now where like you're sitting in a restaurant and the restaurant has like calories next to all the products and you're like do I really want this food or is this just like my brain telling me that it's the lowest number oh my god yes and so yeah like overcoming that was and like I said I'm still working through it still growing and learning but that's like everyone with an eating disorder I feel like you recover But you always have moments of like, oh, you know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I would say the beauty of intuitive eating now is that I eat when I'm hungry and I stop when I'm full. But beyond that, I eat for happiness and pleasure. You know, like Thanksgiving just passed and it was so much fun and joy to eat with my family. And, you know, I did overeat a little because (laughs) you have all this delicious food around you and that's okay because you're surrounded by family and food has become more of a joy and experience than it was before. And before in my eating disorder, it was very much like food was a burden, but now food is pleasure and happiness. And yes, it's about fueling myself, but it's also about the experiences that come with food and Yeah. And really that can only happen when you embrace and accept intuitive eating. Yeah, it is so true. I've run into my clients like at a restaurant and they'll say something like, don't look at what I'm eating. I don't normally eat like this. And I don't care if this is what's making you hungry and this is what's making you happy. French fries are good for me. You know, I don't have any problem with whatever you're eating. I assume that you know what you're doing. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I would say it's definitely hard to accept intuitive eating nowadays, especially with all these signs from diet culture, you know, especially on social media and living in Marin as is, where all around us we're given this ideal of like healthy and, and really like healthy is what makes you feel good, whether that be a hamburger or broccoli or a milkshake or Indian food or whatever. But it's what makes you feel good in the moment. And in the long run, it'll be fine. (laughs) It'll be fine. Your body knows. I agree. I couldn't have said it better myself. And, you know, I just want to say that you're somebody who is embodying this whole idea of intuitive eating and learning to take that within yourself and also put it back out in the world. And that will take you a long way. Yeah. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Storygram Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm. When you're whining with nurses. It's a place I like to call the bleed. My name is Laura Lee. 
and this is It's Not About Food. The art of being yay isn't just something he developed. Storygram Network. And I'm really, really glad that you're on today. And we're going to move to the other prong, which is body acceptance. So when we go to schools, the very first prong that we talk about is accepting the body that we have. And that is very hard for a lot of, especially who we're talking to are ninth graders and teenagers, and they are, they're just really having a hard time, a lot of them with their bodies. They're breaking out or they're getting hips and thighs or their, you know, hairs coming all over. And it just is a very difficult time to go from a child to a teenager and then even more problems once they start adulthood. So anyway, we come in and we try to talk as honestly as we can about body acceptance. And so I'm really, really grateful today to have Grace help us understand this a little bit more. Thank you. So throughout my recovery, um, this was actually one of the areas that I found really difficult. Body acceptance is a concept that I find is hard for a lot of people, actually, because it's centered around like just accepting your body, regardless of how it may shift or change or ebb and flow. And I think that's really difficult because it's the fact that your body might never become what you want it to be. And the thing is, that's okay. So I think the two kind of branches of body acceptance that are most sought after through recovery are body positivity and body neutrality, which body positivity centers around affirming your own beauty and appreciating all your own flaws, whereas body neutrality focuses more on being okay with your person outside of your physical features. I think each has its own things to highlight. But the reason I actually like body neutrality is it kind of gives yourself space and kind of compassion to be okay with not being part of the stereotype or anything. Yeah. Plus it opens the door to however way you will shift and change in your life. So you can say, well, my legs still get me up this hill and my arms still can pick up this baby. Yeah. When I was first getting into eating disorder behaviors, I had a large issue with over-exercising. And I've always been a really active kid. And growing up, I would do push-ups every night because I wanted to go to the PE, I don't know what you call it, spring physical checkup. And I wanted to do like the most push-ups and like have the most just because I could. And I remember slowly looking back and seeing the shift from just wanting to perform and see how far I could like take my body to do wonderful things like that. And instead doing it to only exercising for how it would change my body and how it would make it look. And I think part of it is like, you need to honor what your physical body can do. And body neutrality helps a person reach that point of kind of holding empathy for it. And actually in, this is not a promotion, but from your and Carol's book, It's Not About the Food, there's this one quote that really stuck out to me and I have on my wall, which is by Marion Woodman saying, many people can listen to their cat more intelligently than they can listen to their own body. 
because they attend to their pet in a cherishing way. It returns their love. Their body, however, may have to let out an earth-shattering scream in order to be heard at all. And I thought that one really fit this area because it's true. It's like my dog could ask for more than my body could and I'd listen. And I think that we need to reach that place. And I don't know if you feel the same way about that, but... Yeah, I definitely do. I know that it was very difficult for me to listen to anything my body had to say because I didn't believe it anyway. (laughs) You know, I didn't want to have a body. I just hated it so much. I was always in my head. So I couldn't stand to look at it or think about it. Or And yeah, it had to scream pretty high for me to hear it. I've actually talked about this with some other people, but the concept of not really recognizing your body is pretty prevalent, which I don't always think is a bad thing because I have always been really fascinated with dreams. And there's this concept that my friend and I have talked about where When you're sleeping, sometimes you'll take a different form than what you look like in this reality. And it could be whoever or whatever, but you still recognize it as yourself. And I like to think of that as a mindset I'd like to carry over into my everyday life because in my dreams, I may take a different form, but I'm still myself. And that's the same way it is in reality. Yeah. You know, again, as we get older, we always shift and change, of course. You know, we can't stay the same way like Benjamin Button, you know, or something. We're going to get older. That's just the way it is. Everybody gets older unless they die before they get older. So it's sort of just part of life. But in the culture that we live in, you're not supposed to look older. You're supposed to always be young and thin and beautiful and healthy and strong and all these things that are put on you to be. And it's just not any sort of reality. So the acceptance of the body, it will go through every stage of your life. I agree. And I think that in relation to it, it's all about like building up the tools. And throughout going to different schools in Marin, whenever we have questions come in that are like, how can I accept my body? I don't like myself how I am right now. It's always hard to answer those because I don't want to tell people that like, It's a skill you have to exercise throughout your life constantly, and it will get easier, but it's something that you do have to work on. So yeah, body acceptance isn't something that's going to stop. It becomes part of your lifestyle, really. Yeah. And again, the culture that we live in wants everybody to live a long, healthy life, but doesn't want them to look like they're living a long life, (laughs) you know? Right. I actually have noticed this horrible trend coming up on social media, that there's this shift in body types right now. Mm. And I find it completely disgusting. But um, in recent years, there have been movements like the body positivity movement. And my hope was that things like that would hopefully lead towards ending body types as a target. Yeah, good or bad. But unfortunately, that's not something that's going to change in social media and outside of that very soon. So I think that's why listening to your body's own wisdom is really important in this time. I actually had a friend who, um, in recovery, and I won't give away much for her own privacy. She used to wear the same thing every single day. It was a sweatshirt and a pair of sweats. And she felt vulnerable when she didn't have that attire on. And I think that's really, it speaks volumes to like how important our physical bodies have become in this world. And how it affects like even your own autonomy, really. 
Yeah. And how you feel safe in your own clothes. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So for you, where are you now in this whole body acceptance thing? I think that I have come to a place where I want to work on it because I think an issue for me in the beginning was I didn't want to work on it. It sounded almost exhausting, the process of (laughs) working on myself forever. And I think that's difficult. But um, (laughs) actually, the more you learn to work with these skills and build up these habits, it almost becomes fun. And like you can see the effects showing. It almost felt like I was hearing this other voice that would stop and I'd reflect and I'd be like, why did I just say that to myself? You know? Yes. Yes. It's so true. And it's a skill you'll have again for the rest of your life. It's something that you'll teach others too. You'll just naturally be able to do that. And yeah, I agree with you. It felt very exhausting when I first started my own recovery of that. You mean I got to think about this stuff forever? It's like, well, uh, one of my first therapists says, well, what else do you have to do? This is life. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I always think about it like if you're not going to take the steps to do this for the rest of your life, what's the alternative? And that would be staying with your eating disorder, which I think is a lot worse. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for being on and talking about this very difficult subject. Well, they're all three difficult subjects. So the next one is emotional wisdom, which is how to get that part of us that knows we have feelings, is okay that we have feelings, knows how to work with our own feelings and how we get so far away from that. And we have to relearn how to go back towards that, feeling our feelings, letting ourselves feel our feelings. So Julia, what do you think about that? Hi, my name is Julia Frankis, and I'm also a senior. I think in terms of emotional wisdom, it actually can be, I think, in my opinion, one of the easier steps to recovery, one that doesn't involve as much vulnerability around certain behaviors that many people who struggle with eating disorders may display. And I think there's a huge connection between our emotions and food. You know, people use food as a way to mitigate certain emotions when you're sad or angry or something like that. And just people buy a whole tub of ice cream or something and eat that in order to help essentially self-soothe. I think for me, having emotional wisdom was very important for my recovery. And it's something that I'm definitely still working on. I think a lot of people are still working on it. I think there's a few different aspects. So there's definitely understanding your emotions and how that ties into your behaviors, which can be a huge part of therapy for a lot of people. I think there's also looking at social media and rejecting what diet culture or certain health influencers may tell you. I think in Marin especially, there's a huge health culture revolving around eating a certain way, looking a certain way, engaging in certain types of exercise. And although these things can be positive in some form, they often are promoting a very specific type of health that is not actually healthy. So I think in terms of the social media aspect, I think a huge part of emotional wisdom is just thinking for oneself. You know, when you see something on social media, really thinking to yourself, is this true? Is this something that is going to be positive for my body? and myself, almost being selfish a little bit and just rejecting what other people are saying and not allowing others to have jurisdiction over your thoughts or your body or your life, essentially. 
I think that is a huge aspect of nationalism. And I think it's hard. It's really hard in our society today to just say no to social media or say no to certain influencers, especially when all your peers, like everyone around you, is engaging in these behaviors or engaging with diet culture. It can be so hard to be the person who chooses not to do that. You're right on the nosy (laughs) because to me, I was talking about this with somebody else about how I was taught that nobody wanted to hear anything negative about anything. So I had to learn how to, if somebody asked me how I was, I'd have to say, fine, fine, I'm fine. And so then I did that to myself. I would have a feeling and I would squish it down with telling myself, you're fine, stop, stop being a baby, you're fine. And wasn't helpful at all when I just got overwhelmed with feelings. I didn't know what to do because I didn't know how to feel them or get help for them when I needed it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the other really big part of emotional wisdom and recovery is just understanding the correlation between or causation even between emotions and behaviors. And so I think understanding that is going to be really beneficial for people who struggle with disordered eating. I mean, we know that eating disorders often are a coping mechanism. And so they often are used to mitigate certain behaviors or certain feelings and body hatred can be a really big one. So people get into cycles and patterns. I know something I've definitely struggled with is understanding what emotions, whether it's sadness or anger, what have you, what that leads to for me, whether it leads to body hatred, which then leads to me, you know, wanting to engage in this behavior or that behavior, understanding those connections is going to be a huge part of recovery. And I think it's one of the first steps as well, because without understanding the cause of a person's eating disorder, it can be really hard to recover from it because you're recovering from exactly. So I think understanding that relationship is vital to being truly recovered. And I think that it's such a huge, well, all three of them are such a huge part of the recovery process, but also the prevention process of that right out of the gate. If we were taught to love our bodies and accept however way they're going to show up on the world. And if we were taught to be okay with food, that it was just food and it was really wonderful and have pleasure with food and that it wasn't food or good food, that there was just food. And then how does your body want and how does it deal with the food? And then we were taught just all of our feelings are okay. They're just feelings and we can feel them and let them go. We don't have to drown in them and we can get support if we need it, that there is a support around us. And that's a lifelong learning, I think, because we shift and change. Things come in, things leave. Our situation gets different as we grow. You guys are still are in high school and you're not going to believe what it's like in college. <laughs> you're not going to believe what comes down when you're working all the time and trying to like balance life and work. And It just gets different. And I think when we recover, like you guys recovered so early in your lives, it will last your whole life long. You're just not going to have to struggle with this like other people that are in your age group a lot of the time. So it was powerful and brave of you, all three of you, to do this work. Thank you. I also want to give a quick 
quick personal anecdote. Yeah, I think please do. Yeah, as a ballerina, I think the concept of the ideal body type and what other people are saying, my teachers are saying, and what my director is telling me is healthy versus what my doctor is telling me is healthy versus what my friends are telling me I should be doing. There's a lot of like conflicting thoughts there. There's a lot going on. And it can be really confusing for young ballerina to understand to, you know, to really listen to your own body and try not to listen to everyone else. I've been really fortunate that I've gone to a ballet studio in which, you know, dancers aren't being ridiculed or a lot of studios dancers are often cast differently because they don't fit the ideal, you know, whatever, whatever that, that means for right. ballet. <laughs> yeah. Um, or the stereotypical ballerina body, which, you know, we also know is based on Eurocentric ideals, which are rooted in whiteness and thinness. And it can be really conflicting for a young ballerina to figure these things out. And I think it applies to all sports. I think they're, I know, especially for runners and for all different, all, I think this applies to all sports, but it can be really confusing to figure out who should I listen to about my body, who's telling me the correct information. And I think a huge aspect of emotional wisdom is just having the ability to, I guess, just differentiate what is healthy for me versus what are my peers doing and how can I just be my own self and listen to my own body. Yep. So wise beyond your years, you guys. Really so grateful that you were on today and it's going to help so many people, your life of helping others before you came to the peer education group and after. I think when we decide to recover from anything, really, and choose life, we are helping everyone on earth to put that more positive energy out in the world to say, my life is important and I'm going to live it to the fullest. And it gives other people permission to talk about struggles that they have. So I cannot thank you enough for being on the podcast today and talking about this intense subject out into the ethers, <laughs> to the whoever they are. And uh, thank you very much for being on today. Thank you for having us. Yep. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening. And be sure and follow me on Patreon, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and it's not about food.com. Thanks.